In this episode, we'll discuss Elon Musk's plan to take Tesla private, Apple takes a stand, and how designers might seek to meet their business partners halfway. Welcome to Colored by Design. This discussion series looks at design issues through a uniquely biased lens. Our hope is to empower a new breed of creative as they enter into, mature, and navigate through the business world. I'm Corwin, Senior Global Creative Director. And I'm Jesse, Senior Experience Designer. Let's get into it. Good evening. Hey, how's it going, man? Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Oh, fantastic. Always good. Always good. Good. So a lot of good stuff in there to this week. Yeah, lots of interesting stuff. Lots of interesting stuff. Before we get into it, uh, I would like to give a personal shout out to a young man who thinks that you and I are rock stars because our podcast is on Spotify. Oh wow, who's this? Yeah, it's my uh, one of my good friend uh, uh, Rod, his uh, his son Evan. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Evan's starting to to put together a podcast or a YouTube kind of channel where he's going to be critiquing um, some pretty cool directors, like you know the directors of Being John Malkovich and you know Eternal Sunshine and some of these other kind of deals. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, hey, go for it, bro. So I was just trying to give him a couple tips on make your format simple so you yeah. can actually publish and get in a rhythm and get it going, you know? Yeah, I think it's great that there are so many opportunities for voices that might not have been heard in the past to be heard. Um, and, and the fact that the internet enables us to sit down and, and put some things together um, and, and share that and hope that we can find an audience that this resonates with, uh, I think is really important. Yeah. And I mean, if you think back, I mean, you know, we, we kind of say welcome to color by design and talk about what this design, you know, this discussion series is talking about. And truly, that is our hope is to really empower a new breed of creatives. And, you know, Evan, I think is 13 right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, I really mean it. I know you really mean it. Yeah. We love this industry. We love this topic. I think we're all kind of fortunate to be able to work in this business and uh, helping other people find their way in the world and help them do what they love to do and encourage them. You know, because his dad was his dad's a good friend of mine. His dad's like, I don't even know what these movies are. This boy is talking about. Right. You know, he's like, if it don't have dolomite in it, <laughs> I don't know what it is, you know. And uh, so it's like, yo, I mean, we need to empower and encourage and build each other up and, and, and encourage them to do the things that they feel passionate about. Yeah. You know, so that's super cool. Absolutely. Well, so uh, Evan, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to your, your show. Um, and hopefully, you know, y- you enjoy uh, the podcast. Yeah. Um, but speaking of the access that people have um, to just be able to press send, uh, Elon Musk casually woke up this morning and, and kind of took the financial industry by storm with, mm-hmm. with a tweet. Um, you know, I, I'm assuming he, he, he woke up and, you know, reached over to his, his nightstand and grabbed his phone and just casually tweeted, oh, hey. I'm considering taking Tesla private at $420 a share, funding secured, and then shortly afterwards says good morning. Of course, after that, the 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 the, the Twitters were our blaze. Yeah, um, and it's a really interesting kind of subject to discuss, um, given what it seems like the effect um, being public and being on Twitter has had on the perception of Tesla and Elon Musk and why he might have decided to go this direction. Yeah, I think that, I think we kind of, you know, I think we're big fans of, of Elon Musk and, mm-hmm. and these type of, uh, you know, leaders and innovators and dreamers and doers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
you know, we talked, I think, just hit it a little bit before where it's like it's tough to be in this position. You know, you're responsible right. to shareholders and, and, and the board and, 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 and all this stuff. But, you know, this dude is trying to build for the future. Yeah. And then you have, you know, the pressure of people benefiting by mm-hmm. talking bad about the company to drive, you know, its it, it share value down. Right. You know, and I, if I, 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 I put it like this. Obviously, when you're building a company, you need the investors to give you the money you need to help fund what you're doing. Right. But, you know, the pressure and the, you know, kind of the politics, once you have them helping you, yeah. man, it, I would imagine it'd be hecka tough to continually march forward with your vision in spite of all the, the shareholder pressures and the, the, you know, the performance pressures of that stock. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, too, that when you are on the public market, it's easy for certain incentives to become misaligned. So, and I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but generally speaking, when you invest in a stock, you want the stock to increase. Um, You invest in a stock sometimes because you believe in the company, other times because it's a smart position to take. Um, You know, it's not going to drop like a rock. It's not going to shoot off like a rocket. You know, it's going to be something that you can depend on for your 401k, for your retirement, right? But a lot of times people invest in these companies and especially in really charismatic founders like Elon because they believe in the vision that they're selling. And I think that there can be somewhat of a narrative pushed by certain aspects of the media that Elon doesn't care about investors, um, given the way that he's kind of acted towards analysts on a few of Tesla's earning calls. Um, Those analysts all shared a similar position in that they were shorting the stock, which famously, as Elon says, is the most shorted stock in the history of the stock market. Whether or not that's true, I I can't verify, but that's what he says. Um, But he, he, he shortly tweeted after... Um, kind of dropping this bomb on his Twitter timeline that my hope is all current investors remain with Tesla, even if we're private. And he would create special funds in order to make sure that that's possible. But if you look at companies like, or a company like SpaceX, which is obviously another one of uh, Elon's companies, it's private and it's private in order to make sure that everyone's incentives are properly aligned. So when you're on the public market, you have to do quarterly earnings calls and those calls can drive the stock price up or down. Given uh, what's happening in that quarter, you might want to change your decision making from being super forward thinking and doing what's best for the long term future to doing what's best for that specific quarter to make sure certain numbers are up to drive that stock price up. And that can be difficult when you need to make long term decisions. Yeah, it's tough. I, I have never IPO'd a company. I'm, I don't hold. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, I don't hold any shares. Like you know, to where I'm. You know, I have investments, of course, but it's right. like I'm not. T- to your point. I, I invest in stuff because obviously I want my money to go to work mm-hmm. for me, you know, and and, uh, and 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 the other part is I do have investments in companies that I really, really like, yeah. really, really believe in. And when, I, you know, I had the opportunity, well, back when I worked at uh, my first job, that stock was trading at $14 a share, $10 mm-hmm. a share back in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. And now they're just up over, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I think they just crossed $1 trillion. Oh, yeah, your in, former in company gap, you just recently crossed a trillion yeah, dollars. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. <laughs> but what's funny is that people were selling the stock like, oh, it's going nowhere, oh, it's going nowhere, oh, right. it's going nowhere. And, uh, you know, I, I ran into one of my former coworkers and I we were talking and 
I asked her, I said, hey, so do you still have any of your shares? And she's mm -hmm. like, no, I sold them at 14. Yeah. Oh, and wow. she's like, that was three years ago. Yeah. Now, mind you, this was years, years back, right? Mm -hmm. And she said, but now it skyrocketed. And she's like, I'm kicking myself every day, right? right? She still made good money, but not like now. So the point being is that that company executed on a 20-year strategy. Mm-hmm. 20-year strategy to get to where it's at now. Yeah. It don't happen quarter by quarter always. Right. Sometimes it does, sure. But that's 20 years plus of investing, mm -hmm. placing bets, hiring the smartest people, going against what, quote, unquote, customers say they need. Right. You know, and now working in product organizations, we do focus a ton on what customers need, mm -hmm. which you got to do that. I don't, I, don't, I don't fault that at all. But man, somebody's got to take a step to the side and say, I got to look to the future. Right. And I got to build what the future may require. Right. And the company, I remember being there, they placed a lot of bets on a lot of stuff that didn't come to fruition. Yep. But the ones that did come to fruition put them over the moon. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. One of the interesting dynamics that you see occur as well is um, when you're on the public markets, there can sometimes be discussion about the proper ratios for investment in R&D versus maybe shareholder dividends. Mm -hmm. Like... I see you spending billions of dollars in R&D. Why don't you just increase the shareholder dividend? Because I, as an individual shareholder, I want more money. Right. Of course. Um, so of course. again, your incentives can start to become misaligned. So it's really interesting to see. Now, uh, these aren't finalized plans by any means. It's just happened about six hours ago today. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens in the future. But just uh, as a point in time, it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, in this product industry, uh, you know, that we um, as software designers are, are a part of. It's just interesting to see how a lot of these companies move. Um, and one of the other things that we've seen kind of occur with, with this specific situation, and again, going back to the power of being able to roll over and press send on something like this, <laughs> is some of the negatives um, we've seen in regards to Tesla and, and the, the large number of short sellers and, and, and the critics um, of Tesla. Uh, a lot of people would note that Elon's kind of demeanor over the past few months has seemed to change. Um, he's been on Twitter a lot. He's been responding to a lot of people. Uh, he's taken some some maybe ill-advised positions in, in certain circumstances. And um, he's gotten a lot of backlash for that. And in his mind, it's driven by this legion of short sellers who are out to get him in every turn. He, tweet, he tweeted a, that that Hitler meme, oh, where man, uh, so <laughs> even even Hitler was shorting Tesla stock, which was it's just worth a laugh for for some giggles. Please, um, I'm, I, I'm not I'm on Twitter, but I'm not active on Twitter. I, mean, yeah. I have an account, and I you know. Oh, whatever. it's very hard to be active on Twitter. Ah man, it's um, well that'll get us to our next one, but yeah. we'll hold that. But but please go check out that that edit on. Uh, Definitely on on uh, on Twitter that YouTube bit it, with with Hitler it is is hilarious. Yeah, so there was there were a lot of people who were hoping that the Model Three would fail, um, so that the company would go bankrupt and blah 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 for this that and other reasons, right? But um, one of the things that we saw happen recently with this specific situation was that um, was that uh, a, a car reviewer by the name of Dan Neal who uh, works for the Wall Street Journal. Um, 
did a review of the Model 3 and, you know, he said it was magnificent. And after that review went live, he was driven off of Twitter by a lot of harassers and things like that um, who were perhaps unhappy that a man of his stature would, would, would write a review that they deemed would be really good for the, for the car. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just these, all these interesting dynamics that kind of happen um, with these platforms and, and you start to see some of these misaligned incentives and, and what happens um, in that conflict. You, ha- you know, what's, what's, you know, I know part of our kind of our platform here is talking about diversity and things like that. So mm-hmm. looking at the world through the, the, the eyes that we look through it, you know, it's, it's kind of troubling um, when these, you know, think about 20 years ago, mm-hmm. the information that you received was from what we could assume were vetted, trusted sources. Yeah. And now we get information all over the place. For example, my son was watching something, you know, Snapchat has these news channels and things mm-hmm. like that. And he was watching some content and he made a comment to me. And I said, where did you get that information? He said, oh, on Snapchat. I can't remember what the name of the little news feed is. Yeah. And I said, that's not even close to true. Yeah. You know, but he's 15, 14, right? And they're getting their news from Snapchat. Yeah. It's not even close to accurate. And I'm like, yo. This is really a problem because on the stock side, sure, these cats can, you know, on the on one side, you can pump and dump things and, mm-hmm. you know, pump up a, a position so that you can just sell it because you bought it early. Mm-hmm. And then you can, what was it, poop and scoop, mm-hmm. you know, going the other way. But um, and then with all the political rhetoric and, you know, some of the hate speech that we see mm-hmm. and, you know, it's I'm glad that people have these platforms to be able to communicate their 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 message on. And even back in the day, I remember when I, I saw something, a documentary where Ronald Reagan was running for president back in the day, mm-hmm. and he had recordings of him on record mm-hmm. that he would take or that they would take around to houses. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, we're going to take this record, play it for you in your record player at your home, mm-hmm. um, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so and maybe it wasn't Ronald Reagan. I think it was Ronald Reagan. But anyways. You know, it's, it's like, you know, we've always had this ability to communicate your message to your followers. Mm-hmm. But now what's troubling is that it's being broadcast to the world. Yeah. And that's like, golly, man, it's already bad enough. The radio drops F-bombs mm-hmm. now, right, when, when we're driving in the car. Mm-hmm. After 10 o'clock, it seems like the radio stations are just <laughs> like, go for it. Yeah. You know, even what we consider cable TV, mm-hmm. everybody, not everybody, a lot of people have cable TV. Mm-hmm. You turn on cable TV, one of the shows I like on on uh, t- uh, TNT mm-hmm. is uh, Claws. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I love that show. It's got Karuchi Tran in it. She's mm-hmm. super fine. But the show is great. It's about these nail salon people. But you turn that on on some of the earlier episodes, and they were having buck-naked get-down mm-hmm. right there on the thing. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, this is TNT. I can flip to this. It's mm-hmm. not, you know what I mean, one of the upper channels or HBO or what. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So these platforms giving people the freedom to broadcast anything, it's troubling because everybody steps back and says, well, it's freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. I'm not accountable mm-hmm. and, and all this kind of stuff. So. You know, I mean, it's not quite what we're talking about here with Tesla. Yeah. But people can say whatever they want to try to short the company and try to make the company look bad, Mm -hmm. driving down the share price if they're successful enough Mm -hmm. and have a big enough platform. Yeah. And so that they can reap the rewards by, you know, by by trying to sell it low. Yeah. And even when you look at this, that ability to press send for as many as much good as it's done, 
Um, in the in the news uh, over the past couple of weeks, we saw a lot of MLB baseball players who were uh, had some questionable tweets when they were in high school that they never deleted and you know said some things that were you know not really acceptable and ultimately that you know that got them in trouble in the media uh maybe they got suspended for a few games um and so it's it's you know a blessing and a curse in 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 large part yeah um back to your uh initial statement about um what's possible on these platforms and what what types of content are are we going to allow and the kind of laissez-faire attitude that a lot of them have towards um, misinformation if you will purposeful or not uh, and and other things that don't necessarily violate their terms of use but are just distasteful Um, and, and to start it's a very fine line to draw it's it's very difficult to police all content on these massive platforms with hundreds of millions or billions of users um taking all that at face value i think it's still interesting when you see some of these companies you know do that very thing and take a stand within the past few days we've seen apple do that very thing and take a stand by removing some content from their platform that they deemed to be uh, maybe causing active harm to people yeah um, and in so doing, they kind of provided cover for some of the other tech platforms to do the same. Right. And it's just interesting at a high level to see how do we, how do we, in owning these platforms, we have a responsibility to society as a whole. I, I like to think so. And I know I would. Yeah. I would feel responsible. Yeah. And, you know, we don't necessarily have direct governance over how these platforms decide to conduct themselves. Right. We don't elect Mark Zuckerberg. We don't elect Jack Dorsey. We yep. don't elect Tim Cook. Yep. Uh, you know, these people are in the positions that they're in because they make products that we love and that we use. Yep. And, and with that comes the responsibility to contribute to healthy conversation on their platforms. Well, and, and listen, I don't know. A, I don't disagree with what you just said, but... I don't think that they feel that there is a responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because number one, I'll go back to something you said earlier just a second ago, is that is it difficult to police the content that's on these platforms? Absolutely. However, in this day and age, these cats are magicians. Mm-hmm. These young men and women have built some of the most amazing tech across the board, mm-hmm. from the iPhone to the Android to everything Facebook does to everything – all all the data that they have access to and the ability to mine it and, 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 and segment it and sell it off and instantly auction it in real time, like mm-hmm. with nanosecond accuracy to publish the right, they have every ability. Mm-hmm. They know how to put your ad for sneakers right on your blog post because you're talking about sneakers. Right. So they could do it. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind they could do it. I think that, go ahead. No, 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 go for it, go for it. I was just saying, I, th- I think that some of them do. Like I think Tim Cook truly cares. Yep. Um, given the conversations that he's had recently around even dating back to the Cambridge Analytica scandal, mm-hmm. the things that he said, as you mentioned earlier, about mm-hmm. we wouldn't be in this position because we don't treat user data in that way. Yeah, I was um, talking about a, a MSNBC right. a town hall that he was part of. Yeah, Right. So I do think that you know some folks cared from, from the get-go, and I think that other people have started to realize just how important this, these efforts are and, and started to care even more. And I think the, the thing that's there, let's be clear. I, I think it's hard sometimes when you're the head of a major corporation that's responsible for oodles and oodles of cash um, and shareholders and all this stuff, right? It's hard to 
and public sentiment. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to, as a as a armchair analyst, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to discern what is actually genuinely in their heart of hearts versus mm-hmm. what is best for the company. Yeah, totally. So let's just assume that they're being genuine and, and, and honest and they're saying, hey, I'm doing what's best for the company, demonstrated by my actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know there's hypocrisy across the board where we see, hey, maybe I'm in this country to avoid paying some taxes or right. I'm here doing that. Let's just assume that what what Tim Cook said is, is actually true. Right. Okay, hey, we wouldn't find ourselves in this data mess anyway. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, you know, I don't know if these guys and these corporations are feel responsible for this information. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the FCC, you know, uh, has very strict guidelines as to what you can and can't say on the air. Mm-hmm. These media platforms or these technology platforms don't consider themselves media platforms because they would then have to be subject. I believe I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a professional on this topic, but I think Mm -hmm. they would be beholden to those same kind of regulations. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the content that gets published across their airwaves, networks, platform Mm -hmm. would be subject to scrutiny and making sure that, hey, you can't say that on this on this platform. Right now, if you do that, you're dramatically going to limit the number of people that are going to pop. Well, you know what? I'll back up. I don't think you would limit the number of people that are going to publish on the platform. Mm-hmm. I listen to tons of podcasts. I listen to tons of Spotify. I listen to tons of iTunes music. I listen to tons of, you know, Google Play content. You name it, right? I'm not offended by hardly anything, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't th- and I don't have a problem having my kids listen to anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we even the radio. I don't turn on the radio station and hear things that are just absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Even when you turn on some of the the channels that might be of a differing uh, political opinion that I might have. I'm never offended by it. Like, mm-hmm. you can't listen to this, kids. Turn this off. This is just crazy. Yeah. It's like, okay, wow, that's a hell of a perspective that, you know, okay, people are right to their opinion. Yeah. So, again, I don't think – I think that these platforms should – they should be responsible for what goes out into society. Mm-hmm. And right now, as again, I mentioned I like the crypto stuff. And more than the crypto stuff, I really like the community that's building and passionate about – the innovations that blockchain can provide. Mm-hmm. But what they're trying to do is build a society where things are recorded forever and you are held accountable for what you've contributed to this platform mm-hmm. or to this block on this chain. And it's a very scary thing. I was listening to this one gentleman and he said, hey, look, somebody asked the question, well, if you're recording everything on the blockchain, and it can't be erased, deleted, or altered. Mm-hmm. What if it's some things that you might want to forget? Like, oh, I got a speeding ticket back in 19, you know, 99, mm-hmm. and now it's hindering me from getting a job. Right. And the guy that was talking about it, he's like, well, I get that there are some things we'd all like to forget. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that that's part of your past. And if we're all going to participate in this trustless and, and transparent society, we need to be accountable for what we have contributed to. Mm-hmm. Now, the other part is... We need to make sure that those um, those walkbacks, or after you've paid your debt to society, or after you've you know paid your your ticket or your fine or you took the class, that's also recorded to benefit you and say, hey, I didn't do the speeding ticket, but I did take care of it and I went through it the legal way mm-hmm. and I'm clean, right? Yeah. So again, what I like is that we need. What I would hope is that we all are somewhat or tremendously responsible for what we're putting out there as we're part of this huge anonymous culture that can push and publish anything Mm -hmm. because the fake news to my son's comment again my son is getting the wrong information right and that is going to make all of us stupid right 
It's going to make all of us misinformed. It's going to have us walking in the boardrooms and, 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 and on the job, and we're going to be espousing things that just aren't true mm-hmm. and wonder why we're failing, things don't work, you know, we're, we're losing in, in, in every way possible. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a good thing. Yeah. You know, so I think they need to take more responsibility and do what's right. Yeah. And to your point earlier about some of the the blockchain and, and what the SEC does for people who are giving financial advice. Oh, yeah. Um, where you have to make a disclaimer if you're not actually providing financial advice. Yep. Um, I think that's really interesting. Um, also, for Instagram marketers and social media marketers, when you are making a post because it's paid, you have to disclose that it's a paid advertisement. Right. I don't know who actually, I think that might be the FCC um, that governs that and says, I mean, and this is on new media platforms as well when we have sponsored streams on Twitch, for example. If it's sponsored, you have to put ad in the title. It has to be prominently shown, right? So I think that there are ways to kind of go about starting to validate some of the work that is being done or, or invalidate some of the work that's being done by some people um, who are willfully willfully or um, accidentally spreading some of this misinformation. Um, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a, again, uh, the magnitude of the problem does not mean that it can't be solved. And check this out. So when I started in the business, we were doing advertising. Mm-hmm. And you know, we were educated loosely on uh, truth and advertising laws. Mm-hmm. Um, working for pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. you have to have fair balance. So you can't go out there and say, oh, this drug can cure this mm-hmm. without doing all the disclaimers that we hear on all the commercials may cause, blah, 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 and blah, 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 right? right? It's called fair balance, right? Uh, fair and balanced marketing or advertising. There are laws, you know, um, truth and advertising laws that are regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. When consumers see or hear an advertisement, whether it's on the internet, radio, or television, or anywhere else, Federal law says that ad must be truthful, not misleading, mm-hmm. and when appropriate, backed by scientific evidence. Mm-hmm. That's an advertising. Yeah. How much more the news that you espouse, it has to be held to the same standard at a minimum, I would think. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, you know, it's like, yo, whether it's on the internet, radio, or television, again, that's truth in advertising. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, the fact that there are companies that are actually out there profiting off fake news and they will tell you flat out it's fake news mm-hmm. and they make money off of it yep i saw a thing on 60 minutes i think we talked about it last time there's a report i think it's somewhere like 60 percent of the news that's published in our ecosystems is fake news mm-hmm. that's terrible yeah i need the accurate stuff i need the truth yeah you know so and again you know it's a big problem to solve but and i'm interested i'm sure that there are initiatives happening at facebook and twitter and you know whatever else big platform that there is to figure out how we can approach this as a society Uh, because you know as soon as you start deciding to censor something that needs to be a very clear and transparent process um, or else you can start to spiral down a rabbit hole and 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 you get to a place where um, the people in charge maybe you disagree with people in charge and they censor something that's true um, or you get a very tightly state-controlled media that only allows, you know, that blacklists certain phrases and movies. And I mean, we see this happening in the world now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not something that, you know, Americans want to represent them. So um, it, it's certainly an interesting topic. Yeah. 
and even you know I'm here on 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 Google just doing some quick searches while you're talking going back to you know the you know I kind of searched truth and journalism laws mm-hmm. the fairness doctrine of the United States Federal Com- Communications Commission or the FCC introduced in 1949 was a policy that required the holders of broadcast licenses both to present controversial issues of public importance and to do so in a manner that was in the FCC's view honest equitable and balanced mm-hmm. Now, that was the FCC's purview to oversee that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so it's like we're a nation of laws and, you know, we're a nation that tries to regulate certain things to protect its consumers. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you know, like if you're doing, uh, if you're, you know, kind of bragging or boasting about a stock or a uh, cryptocurrency or some other asset class that you need to disclose, this is not financial advice. Mm-hmm. Do your own research. I am not a financial advisor. This is just my opinion and all that kind of stuff, right? They have to do that mm-hmm. right now because these cats were getting busted yeah. for saying, oh, buy this coin or buy this token or buy this stock. They were getting busted for doing it. Yeah. So there's laws out there and some organizations are put in place to regulate things like that. Why? So consumers and people don't get hurt and taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. The truth is still the truth, no matter how many times you say that something is not what it seems. Mm -hmm. There is still truth. We talked about this last time. There are universal truths in science and mathematics, some of them that can be debated, but some Mm -hmm. of them we don't argue anymore. Um, Some people still try. Mm -hmm. The earth does seem to be round. Mm -hmm. But, (laughs) you know... um, you know, and, and it, let, let me let me go to the Earth is round thing, real just real quick. Mm-hmm. Take a transcontinental flight. When you get up, like up over like you know Alaska, flying over Russia and that mm-hmm. kind of part, you can see the f- roundness of the thing. Mm-hmm. You're so high up, you're at that vantage point, you can see that the Earth is actually round. Yeah, just saying. Anyway, but I do think that these guys and and and, and these companies need to have. I think they need the regulation. Mm-hmm. Regulation isn't a bad thing, always, right? I mean. You know, we do need some regulation. Speed limit. I don't like speed limits because I like to go super fast if mm-hmm. I could. But I realize that my kids are walking down the street. Mm-hmm. So do I want these fools in my neighborhood racing up and down the street like it's a drag strip? Mm-hmm. No, bro. I need you to obey the speed limit because me and my wife and the kids and families and running and some regulation is good. And I think these platforms need to get some. Yeah. So another interesting thing that we've kind of been discussing and it's a bit of a hard pivot from that last point. <laughs> but Wouldn't it be awesome if we had some advertisers so that we could break and go to a commercial and yeah, come back? So we're going to take a break. Uh, <laughs> today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace. Oh, Squarespace <laughs> and Google. And the Google. How about Mini Cooper? Uh, truth in advertising, though, it's not sponsored by anyone. It's not sponsored by anybody, and this is not an, <laughs> a, an endorsement of any kind to nope. go out and purchase said products. No. <laughs> not yet. Not until we get paid for it. Get money. Um. Another thing that's come up that we've been discussing is this idea of business for design. Yeah, for sure. Design has uh, what's great about design. Oops, sorry about that. What's great about design these days is that, you know, we have historical data that looks back and says, hey, these companies that invest in design centric initiatives mm-hmm. do see. Um, you know, tremendous gains, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I was excited when uh, there's a design index of some sort that I think came out in 2014 where they analyzed like, you know, 10 or 20 companies, like 
Ford and Coca-Cola and Nike and Apple and all these other design-led companies. Mm-hmm. And they did a little report and they said, hey, wow, we see like 228% increase over the, or 228% uh, earnings, better earnings over over the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or, or whatever. Um, so that was cool, right? And then you started to see this push where design was getting more uh, opportunities inside these organizations, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, you know, um, you started seeing design teams being implemented in corporations and coming into all types of businesses, not only technology businesses, but more traditional retail businesses where I guess design was always part of that organization, but mm-hmm. it started taking on more of an important role. Yeah. So now what's what's interesting is you're starting to see more uh, design processes being brought into these organizations and uh, trying to you know, train business leaders on some of the principles um, of design. Right. So we have a lot of courses and classes on human-centered design and, and design thinking that will put, uh, a lot of people will put their executives through in hopes of introducing a new way to approach problem solving in the organization, uh, a new frame by which they can use to uh, reframe problems really as opportunities and see where right. can I address uh, or how could I address this problem differently. Right. I'm seeing a really great adoption across a number of different companies that I've been a part of and, and had the opportunity to work with some folks in. And what I'm starting to notice maybe a dearth of is some efforts going the other way um, for designers to really take steps towards truly understanding the business not for the sake of selling a design, but for the sake of understanding at a fundamental level what problems their business partners are trying to solve. Yeah, and I think if we go back, I think here's, here's something that, again, being the uh, elder statesman in the room, <laughs> history lesson. Um, historically, when you sit down and you were tasked with a um, design uh, problem, there was always the business goal and objective aligned with it. Mm -hmm. There was always a preliminary bit of research that outlined the audience that you were going to, what the goal and intent was, the why. Mm -hmm. It's funny, right? We start talking about nowadays, you know, designers should ask, you know, the five whys, Mm -hmm. right? To get to the core of what we're really, why are we really doing this? Mm -hmm. That is a, um, a new phenomenon that has to be implemented inside of corporate Uh, and more new design organizations Mm -hmm. working in early design shops and advertising agencies and 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 uh, marketing agencies the the why was already clearly defined Mm -hmm. when a project kicked off you had a brief that brief was vetted and you know kind of painstakingly put together by account managers business leaders um, you know, the client, mm-hmm. uh, customer data and research was integrated into it. Focus group studies and other, you know, research methodologies were kind of all synthesized down into what historically was called a creative brief. Mm-hmm. I have only seen two creative briefs in the last four years. Mm-hmm. And that was because we kind of said, hey, this is great information that you're talking about in this meeting. Yeah. Why don't we distill that down into this document? Here's a template. Let's fill it out and mm-hmm. get it going. Those two projects were extremely efficient. And it helped us stay on track, stay on target. Right. So now I think that some of the things that we're seeing with these design processes being brought into the corporate environment, there's, it's almost like we're training corporations to do what advertising, marketing, and design firms have been doing for 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's, a, it's an interesting time. Interesting time. I think that what w- ways that design can even provide more value in that kind of process that I've seen working in, in startup world 
is getting at there's a business objective that's being presented in the brief. The question is, how did you get to that business objective? Okay. Um, so you're presented with a goal, and, I, and we can riff on this here. Yeah. You're presented with a target to hit. Are you always presented with why you're trying to hit that target? Or how you got to that being the target to hit and not this other thing? Yeah, well, I don't. I think that good, – good question. And I think what is very important is that um, part, part of the reason why we have – um, the different roles inside of organizations is because everybody can't be a specialist. Totally. Right? So that's a good thing. That's an awesome mm-hmm. thing. And so when I sit down with my teams to go after a project, sure, I can ask why, how did you get this information, where did this come from, mm-hmm. you know, blah, 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 blah. And you should mm-hmm. um, because, you know, um, I think everybody deserves to truly, truly understand. Um, and how, however, you know, I don't know that I'm I'm not hiring people necessarily to be proficient or experts in some of those areas. Mm-hmm. Now, I hope that you have great, true collaborative business partners that will impart their wisdom and knowledge onto you. Yeah. But if I'm hiring a designer, I expect you to be the illest, freshest, dopest, smartest designer that you can be. Yep. And 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 you know everything that your craft entails not yep. only the, the 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 aesthetic stuff but you know how to understand and how to get you know true insights out of customer experiences and you know how you know um, you know workflows should be you know thought through and you mm-hmm. know how uh, interaction patterns work and you know how you know color theory and you mm-hmm. you know all these things I expect you to know that right right um, this week we were doing a great little project where we we were doing a we're filming these commercials mm-hmm. and um you know the team while they are young they have a background in video broadcasting and such and so you know i was working with them to say hey look we don't have the big budget to go out and hire an amazing production crew mm-hmm. so we need to do it ourselves mm-hmm. which is a great opportunity super fun you get to learn a lot and you get to go for it yeah and so but what we had to do is we had to lean on all the past experiences that we had to be able to come and execute. Mm-hmm. Great. Why do I say that? Because I can't have my product team providing anything. They, they don't have the skills. They don't have the experience. They don't have the, the knowledge to provide any of that. Mm-hmm. My marketing team, they have insights on what the market opportunity is and the message and the audience that we might want to focus on. But as far as executing, mm-hmm. they can't do any of that. Mm-hmm. I can learn from them, mm-hmm. sure, to make sure that what we go and build is effective, but they're not the pros yeah. in that regard. Yeah. So I do also want to learn as much as I possibly can, but I don't need to be an expert like I expect everybody else at the table to be an expert. Mm-hmm. You know, That's an interesting call out. And I, I totally believe that it's not something that's for every designer, nor should it be. There is room t- for craft and design. Uh, I think a lot of people get into design for the craft. Um, yeah. and, and are focused on being excellent at illustration mm-hmm. or excellent at cinematography, excellent at animation, right? And those are things that you can do your entire career and always get better at. So um, there's definitely room for craft there. I think that it's, an int- it's a, just a different lens with which to look at design, and, and this may be my bias in that I feel like a product guy who looks at product through the lens of design not a designer who builds products with the, like 
as because I can do design doing that thing. Right. Um, and I think that there should be folks in organizations who can bridge that gap and speak the language of business to business people fluently and also speak the language of design to designers fluently. Now, I agree with everything you said and a couple things I'll double down on. Number one, you s- there, those are two different people that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Product, and we'll just use product designers because mm-hmm. that's the business that we're in today, right? Product designers that look at product manage not product management product development mm-hmm. through the eyes of a designer mm-hmm. versus a designer who's asked to execute at a product level mm-hmm. two completely different people mm-hmm. and we need both of them yeah the other part is you absolutely positively have to know business mm-hmm. number one i was starting my first business one day and i went to a mentor of mine i said hey man i don't know how to do this he said of course you do i said i've never started a business he said yes you have he said you just haven't put it in that context he said you're a consumer mm-hmm. You buy services and goods all day long. You know what to expect. You know what not to expect. Mm -hmm. You know what money should be going out. You know what money should be coming back to you. Those are the foundational elements you need to run a business. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, that's interesting. So went and ran and started a business. I say that to say I encourage a lot of designers, go start a business. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a sticker shop, whether it's an Etsy store, whether it's a you're going to go build websites for people, you're going to get on Fiverr and do some logo. Why? Mm -hmm. It's going to give you true insights as to how business has to operate. Mm-hmm. So it's a small thing, but make your business fund your business. Mm-hmm. Don't make it like, you know, you have to pay your rent. Keep your day job. Right. Do this as a side hustle, but do it legally. Go through and file an LLC. Mm-hmm. Learn what it takes to actually have a corporation. Learn all the, the, the legal hoops you have to run through. Understand the accounting side of the business that you have to manage. Yeah. Launch a uh, uh, QuickBooks, uh, you know, QuickBooks Pro application or QuickBooks Online and get in there and start to understand the balance sheet and the profit and loss and, and, yeah. and, and all that stuff. Yeah. You have to know it. Yeah. You know, because life is business. Yeah, totally. You know, so while if, if certain designers now here, I've, I'm getting older, so mm-hmm. I, you know, through osmosis and through having launched a few businesses, I have business acumen. I understand it. Do I understand it like our, our VP of finance? Mm-hmm. No. Do I understand it like our CEO and president? No. Mm-hmm. But I do understand it well enough to be able to be in the room and help guide and make decisions that won't derail anything and have intelligent conversations with people. Yeah. You know? But I am looking at it through the eyes of a designer that is focused on making sure customers and consumers get what they need. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I'll find that I'm the sole person in the room that's passionately advocating for the users and the customers, Mm -hmm. you know, and some people are advocating for the business, the business, the business, like, Mm -hmm. hold on, we got to find middle ground here. Yeah. So again, we need to know business. And for those of you that have ever freelanced, started a business or run your own shop right now, you can attest that, you know, 90% of what you do is not design. Mm Mm-hmm. It's finding that new deal. It's writing those briefs. It's doing the research. It's 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 chasing folks down to pay you. Mm-hmm. It's all those things. Ten percent of your time is really about the thing you probably love to do, which is yeah. the design part. Ninety yeah. percent of it's business. Yeah, you know that's really interesting, and that's one of the things that I've noticed in having the, had the opportunity to be in organizations of different sizes is that 
um, from my experience, folks in the startup world are closer to the day in, day out lifeblood of the organization. Totally. And they understand what it takes in order for them to be able to come into work the next day. We have to make this sale. We have to close these deals. We have to do That's X, right. Y, and Z. That's right. Whereas when you work in a large organization, it feels like it's just an ongoing concern. You don't actually have to worry about how your line of business makes money. It just ha- it's, it's made money for the past 50 years. It's going to make money for the next 50 years. And you're not really concerned about those existential questions. Right. But when you, and I love that advice of starting a business, when you do that or when you're in uh, you know, a, a small company where you understand there's five of you guys and if you want to eat, you have to make this sale. Yep. You just have a, a closer understanding of what's important. And yes. even when you get to the enterprise level it, and the scale is massive, fundamentally, you still have to make more money than you spend. Well, usually. Usually, usually. <laughs> Amazon is making a killing while proving that wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, no, it's, it, it's a good point, right? And, I, and, and, again, I learned much of what I know by working with startups, mm-hmm. by working in smaller companies, agencies, and stuff like that. I've always said, I knew when I was going through, you know, through school that mm-hmm. Coca-Cola doesn't need me. Mm-hmm. They are great without any of us, right? They need people to maintain the awesomeness that they have mm-hmm. and give them the competitive advantage down the road. You know, Nike really's got it covered. They got plenty of people lining up down the street. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked working for people and companies that needed, and I always said, I can be that extra set of hands with a certain skill set that you don't have. Mm-hmm. That's where I always tried to fit in. I want to try to help people do what they can't do, mm-hmm. you know, but working with those smaller companies and those startups, right? Part of the reason why I know in Silicon Valley, it's easy to have a startup. It's hard as heck once that startup transitions into a company Mm -hmm. to run it. Because now, as a startup, while we're all passionate, we're hustling, we're grinding, we're getting paid whatever, we're eating top ramen, we're doing all that stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and, but when you turn that thing into a company, you get your, 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 your various rounds of funding and now your proper company that mm-hmm. people are expecting you to go make a profit mm-hmm. and go drive revenue and sales. Well, now I got to get a different type of people than the people I was able to sit in the closet with mm-hmm. and in the garage with and, and kind of, you know, do the startup thing. Yeah. Now I got to get some smart people. I got to get some, not smart people, not that the people that are doing the startup aren't smart, mm-hmm. but I got to scale it. Yep. I got to grow it. And uh, a buddy of mine, he has a, 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 an amazing, amazing company in, uh, in San Francisco. And he's, I'm asking, oh, man, how's it going? I see you guys got funding. Good mm-hmm. job. Congratulations. He's like, dude, it's tough now. Because yeah. now i got to hire all these prima donna developers <laughs> <laughs> that deserve the bread. Yeah. He's like, I can't do it without them. But they can command fees that are insane. Mm-hmm. They can demand equity of the company that's insane. And he has to have them mm-hmm. unless he can move his company somewhere else and get a different type of talent. But he needs the best of the best. Yeah. So it's like, yo, but, you know, so even in that, you get so much exposure um, in some of these environments. And, I, and I'll say for anybody that's interested in working and kind of getting in on the ground level and learning business, how business really works, mm-hmm. if you can afford to and if you have the opportunity to, I recommend you go to like angellist.com and search for careers and pick your your, your deal and sign on for some of these startups that mm-hmm. need help and that they'll pay you X amount of dollars and give you equity in a company. But really go into smaller companies if you can yeah. um, and learn. Yeah. Like I said, these big companies, they're running a massive corporation. Yep. They don't always have time to walk us through the basics mm-hmm. of business and how this thing runs. You learn at a smaller level and then you see how it scales up. So when you're in these corporations, these larger companies, which you 
probably might want to get to depending upon your 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 you know your path through this thing mm-hmm. you might want to get there for the benefits and the security and the ability to mature and grow up in your company and you know the career development and all yeah. that but man it's nice to have come from all these smaller environments to see things that work don't work and then to have an insight serve on boards yeah you know serve I'm, I'm on a, I was on a board of directors at one point I'm on a board of advisors now mm-hmm. you learn a ton wow you know and it's super cool right and, uh, and then you can Sit, have a seat at the table and not sound like uh, I don't know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know, which is you know what we need in our industry too. Yeah. So I think it's important for designers as you start to think about how you want to differentiate yourself in this job market. Oh yeah. To really understand that corporations are investing in design thinking mm-hmm. because they believe that it's going to provide value to the organization. Right. Designers need to reach out and attempt to continue their own education, whether that's partnering with someone in the business who you think has the time and would be interested in in mentoring or sharing little nuggets with you about how the business actually works. Uh, That's a really key way that you can start to provide even more value uh, and differentiate yourself uh, among maybe if you're looking for a job among other competitors or even within the organization to to provide value to business partners and, and have people start to come to you and ask you, what do you think about this? Or, or, or get in on, solving, on problem solving at an even earlier stage. So, to- Totally agree. You know, I remember we were talking and you kind of mentioned some um, projects that you've had the opportunity to work on mm-hmm. um, at your previous companies mm-hmm. and, 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 and some of the interesting feedback that you've received by being a, a, a partner where you're at now mm-hmm. and adding value. What have, what have you learned? Because a lot of what you're doing right now, I don't know. Some might not say it's completely designed. I mean, I think mm-hmm. you got a business role that you're really, yeah. you know, a business angle that you're really focusing on now. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, maybe share from your perspective because I've been in the game for a long time. So just by osmosis, mm-hmm. I've learned a ton. Yeah, you have been in the game for, you know, maybe, a short time. Yeah, short time. <laughs> 25% a quarter of the time that I've been in it. And uh, but you've been exposed and learned and now you're able to take those learnings and apply it to this new experience. I mean, speak to your experience too cuz I think it's great coming from somebody that's relatively newish in the game. Right. So I think a lot of the time we come into organizations and we have an idea of what it is that we want to accomplish as individual designers. Um, we maybe we see a brand that we love and we think, oh, I could do this with it or I could do that with it or I can create great products and, and, and designs and add them to my portfolio. We have our individual motivations. Um, but I also think that, especially as you get into larger organizations, you have to really look for the ways that you can provide the most value. Um, it's not always going to be about busting out the best design per se, it might be, oh, there's an area over here where we really need some more organizational alignment. What can I do to make these people want to talk to each other more? What can I do to help clarify some of the storytelling behind this strategy that we're putting together to make it easier for everybody to understand? Mm -hmm. What can I do to draw out this information that's locked in people's heads or in PowerPoints buried in a box folder somewhere mm. and make it transparent so that everyone in the enterprise can go and look and see, oh, this is what we're going to be working on next and start to build that kind of organizational alignment um, and that togetherness to make sure that we're all rowing in the same boat. Right. So uh, you do that by just asking, hey, can, how can I be of service to you? What can I do that would make your life easier? Um, 
That might be that, hey, I'm going to be doing a PowerPoint. Uh, that might be, hey, I'm, I'm doing something that's not really a designer thing to do. Right. It doesn't have to be my responsibility. I'm not making the coolest animation right now. Right. I am just helping to clarify some some issues that are happening or connecting connecting dots and connecting people. Um, and that's really how you start to get valued is because uh, other people are saying, oh, I had this problem and he helped me solve it. Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna bolt all the way onto that. Um, taking on the things that aren't glamorous mm-hmm. is actually where I've learned the most in all of my career. Mm-hmm. Everybody want to work wants to work on the commercials. Yeah. Everybody wants to work on a world class <clears throat> app. Everybody wants to design a logo for an awesome brand. Everybody yeah. wants to be above the line. Yeah. You know the things that get seen. And I tell you the honest truth, I have learned more, provided more value, and been a asset to people on the stuff that is just nobody wants to do. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, there was a project that we had, and it was a three-year project, and it was all in PowerPoint. And mm-hmm. it was a nightmare wow. of a project. Yeah. But in this project, we, some of the designers were sequestered, mm-hmm. literally had the go into a room and four of us were working in there on this 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 you know it was a it was a, uh, a high level highly confidential business uh, project mm-hmm. and it had you know business uh, financial information and, and 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 strategy and all kinds of stuff in this document mm-hmm. you know so but I remember sitting with one of the designers and they were like man because we all had to sign NDAs we, we already worked with the company mm-hmm. had to sign NDAs on top of that mm-hmm. and then couldn't tell anybody in the company what we were working on right so we're sitting there and I remember one of the designers was saying my gosh what is this what is this about and mm-hmm. I was like Are, aren't you reading the stuff that we're actually <laughs> you know working on I mean it was like I think it was like 137 pages of stuff wow and I'm like you're designing the heck out of it and we're making sure that the presentation works and we're adding content and doing all this stuff, you know, and, and visualizing some of the, some of the data points and some of the high level, you know, concepts and such. I'm like, are you reading it? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, not really. I'm mm-hmm. like, just read it. Yeah. He's like, okay. So he started reading. He's like, I still don't get it. I said, okay, turn to page 38 and look at bullet number 10. <laughs> and I'll tell you exactly what this document is. And he's like, oh, 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 oh. It's like, yeah, oh, oh, oh. So the first thing you can do is, Take on projects that nobody else wants to because that's where you'll really get embedded into the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Second thing is be an asset. I love what you said. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. Stop trying to get the shine. Yeah, You'll get the shine by not trying to be the shine. Yep, Always. That's the second thing. Third thing, seek out mentors. Yeah. Force people to help you. Yeah. You know, um, I've had the tremendous, I think, you know, I love people and uh, get on pretty well with most folks. Um, and I remember one piece of information that, you know, somebody at our, where we were working, and, mm-hmm. you know, they said, hey, love to impart some wisdom to you. And you went and sat down, talked to the guy. You came, I said, hey, what do you have to share? And mm-hmm. you shared with me. I was Jesse's uh, manager at the time. Jesse went into the office with a VP, mm-hmm. came out. He said, yeah, the dude said this. And I was like, wow, I took that nugget and ran with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was a great, great thing. Um, but seek out mentors, seek out people that you've identified in the company that, you know, you can just sit by the water cooler, have a cup of coffee, take them to lunch. Yeah. Um, and, and talk to swing by their office. Hey, you got a quick second. Yeah. Hey, I was in that meeting, that presentation. I remember when you said blah, blah, blah. Can you help me understand that a little bit better? Oh, yeah. sure. 
people are always willing to help. Yeah. You know, and that goes a very long way. So, you know, do the stuff that isn't glamorous, be an asset to people, yeah. and find mentors that are happy to share with you. Yeah. And snatch them. Yeah. Don't ask. Say, hey, I want you to mentor me. Yeah. I want you to help me with this. Or or just be there all the time when they need something. Hey, I, no, I, no problem. I'd love to help you with that. Yeah. And really what, you know, it, it's a simple piece of advice, but it, it's one that, you know, it, it just – it's it's like the best the best advice is just the it's like right in front of your face. Totally. Um, and it was just like the you know the way to be successful is just to be organizationally minded, and think about the entire organism as opposed to your specific piece of it. Yep. And if you can do that, you start to really unearth where it is that you can plug yourself in to be the most valuable. Yeah. Without people telling you, I need you to do X and I need you to do Y. Um, Man, and one of the one of the things that's like just a little hack for young designers mm-hmm. is, you know, especially when you're coming out of school, you have these really bright and lofty ideas about what you want to accomplish and keep them. Yep. But the real business and the real strategy and the real value is in those presentations that no one wants to do. Yep. I wish I would have known like the you know, business happens in, in presentations. Oh in my PowerPoint gosh. or keynote. Everything, everything happens there. Everything, and if you want to, just or Excel, yeah, Dude. definitely Excel. Yeah. And if you just want to know, you know, if you want to know more than anybody else about what's happening, be the presentation guy. Yep, I, 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 I <laughs> I've worked my tail off, hours, hours. I mean, I'm that guy that's up till four in the morning, and I'm sure most of you are if you're really passionate about this stuff. Whether mm-hmm. you're reading, you're editing, you're designing, you're coding, you're practicing, you're trying to get sharper, you're trying to figure out how that works. Dude, and I'm like, I worked my way all the way up <laughs> to design PowerPoint. Yep. You know what I'm saying? It's like, dude, this sucks. But, again, I wasn't looking at it from, like, you know, oh, I'm just designing PowerPoints. I was looking at it from look at what I can learn and who I can meet. Yeah. Now, here's the – I'll throw this last piece out. This, this to me, stinks because I'm a people person. I think we should all just do our best work and get along, and people recognize your value, and they say, hey, you know what, why don't you come over here and contribute? Unfortunately, there is a political layer to this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of it is luck. A lot of it is right place, right time. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is who you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but our former boss, she had this concept called uh, PI, and I hope I get this acronym right. It's like your performance, um, your image, and your exposure. Mm-hmm. You know, so first you have to perform at your best. Mm-hmm. You have to be the best you can possibly be mm-hmm. at whatever your craft is or whatever your part of business is or whatever. Uh, then you have to, you know, how do you present yourself? Mm-hmm. What's your image? N- not just how you dress when you walk in the office, but how do you compose yourself in meetings? What do people think of you when you're walking around? Yeah, um, That's huge because if you are the smartest person in the room and your image is that you're a whiner or you're difficult or you're, you know, want to go home at 5 o'clock, mm-hmm. you know, when everybody else is staying until 8 or 9 to finish the thing, mm-hmm. that's not a good image. So you got to put in the you got to put in the, the the hours or the you know you got to you got to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then exposure. Once you do one and two, you start to get exposure. The PowerPoint example is a good thing for exposure. You mm-hmm. start to see things that other people didn't see. Yeah. And so then that allows you to be seen by other people that wouldn't normally see you. Yep. And that can definitely take you to the next level. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. I always enjoy our discussions. Yep, I do too, man. Cool. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date with all things Colored by Design, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. 
And if you enjoyed listening, please leave us a positive rating on your platform of choice, and we will see y'all next time. Cheers.